the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Sam Moppin Engineering. Today, looking forward to... Um, uh, hearing a conversation between Mike Gallagher, who is a Salem uh, rep from, well, from Salem, who interviews Brad Hill about He Gets Us, the Super Bowl ads that ran this weekend. Now, this isn't the first time these ads have run, but this was a big deal uh, for them to run during the Super Bowl. We'll explain that a bit later in the program. As you might have heard, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez complained uh, that she didn't think Jesus would spend a million dollars and... Um, condone fascism will uh, give him an opportunity to talk about that brad hill is representing he gets us and he'll answer some of those questions so that's coming up later this hour also in the second hour of today's program a conversation with pastor brent patrick mcdougall he's the author of prayer power 40 days of learning to pray like george Mueller. that's coming up in the second hour of today's program and we would be amiss if we did not acknowledge what's happening in kentucky at asbury university we'll talk about whether or not a revival has in fact broken out there i should say started there and it's making its way to college campuses across the country. We'll tell you about what happened. It started on, I believe, Friday at 10 a.m. during chapel. Or maybe it was Wednesday, if I'm correct. Wednesday uh, at chapel. And these young people have not stopped worshiping, praying, um, and uh, and much more. We'll tell you more about that later in the program. But first, some of the day's headlines. Well, they tell us that the Portland metro area could see between a dusting to up to four inches of snow Monday night, depending on location the portland area uh, the metro area could see between that um, contrast the dusting and the snow up to four inches tonight depending on where you happen to live snow levels will levels rather will start to drop at about 6 p.m tonight we got to make it home sam before this whole thing starts with sticking snow near a thousand feet now those levels are expected to drop to 500 feet a couple hours later and then to 200 feet by 10 a.m well, sticking snow and accumulation throughout the Portland metro area will be scattered between a dusting in many places to four inches in others. Elevations near a thousand feet may see higher amounts up to six inches. Well, the temps in Portland, downtown Portland, are expected to stay in the mid 30s. But if um, if it gets colder than that on Monday night, downtown Portland could see sticking snow. Well, outside of Portland, the Salem area and other parts of the valley should see light accumulation of snow through Monday night. There will be a lot of snow in the Cascades, up to a foot, with mountain passes becoming snow-covered during the day on Monday. On the Coast Range, highways will see rain throughout the morning before turning to snow Monday afternoon. The Coast Range highways could see up to 6 to 8 inches of snow through Monday night. The snow should end on Tuesday morning with a return to dry weather on Wednesday, but not before a hard freeze on Tuesday night as temperatures will drop into the mid-20s. So you have been warned, be prepared. 
whatever that uh, might mean, depending on where you live. In other news, the U.S. military on Sunday shot down an unidentified airborne object, an unidentified airborne object object over Michigan, marking the fourth such incident in a string that began with a Chinese spy balloon shot down off South Carolina coast last weekend. President Biden ordered the uh, the downing of the object near late Huron on Sunday. According to uh, U.S. officials, the object over Michigan was removed from the skies by U.S. Air Force F-16 fighter jets. Lawmakers there issued statements on the incident and urged Congress to conduct comprehensive fact finding for the public. We still haven't heard from the president. The object has been downed by pilots from the U.S. Air Force and National Guard. Great work by all who carried out this mission, both in the air and back at headquarters. We're all interested in exactly what this object was and its purpose. That's a quote from a Michigan representative. As long as these things keep traversing the U.S. and Canada, I'll continue to ask for Congress to get a full briefing based on our uh, exploitation of the wreckage. Well, Representative Jack Bergman, a former Marine and pilot, tweeted, I've been in contact with the Department of Defense regarding operations across the Great Lakes region today. The U.S. military has decommissioned another object over Lake Huron. I appreciate the decisive action by our fighter pilots. The American people deserve far more answers than we're getting. The military action on Sunday comes after a part of Montana airspace was temporarily closed due to a radar anomaly, then later reopened. North American Air Defense then deployed fighter jets to investigate, but could not find an object correlated with the anomaly. Well, the radar developed uh, development came after an U.S. F-22 jet uh, fighter jet shot down a separate unidentified cylindrical object over the Yukon Territory in Canada on Saturday. I ordered the takedown of an unidentified object that violated Canadian airspace. Uh, That's what NORAD reported, shot down the object over the Yukon. Well, Canadian and U.S. aircraft were scrambled and the U.S. F-22 successfully fired at the object, according to the uh, Canadian prime minister. Well, on Friday, the high-altitude airborne object was shot down off the northern coast of Alaska. U.S. Northern Command said in a statement, multiple agencies, including Alaska's command, the Alaska National Guard and the FBI have been conducting search and recovery activities on sea ice. The military couldn't confirm any more about the object's capabilities, its purpose or origin as of last week. The frenzied operations in the sky all come in the wake of the president's shooting down of a Chinese surveillance balloon off the Carolina coast. The balloon had been... Uh, permitted to enter American airspace for some considerable length of time and drift over its intercontinental ballistic missile storage area in Montana. Some Republicans voiced concerns, and some Democrats as well, that the spy device might have transmitted sensitive data back to China. Air Force General Glenn Van Herc, commander of the North American Air Defense, said last week that the military has had blind spots for balloon incursions in the past, and is still trying to improve its capabilities. I will tell you that we did not detect those threats, and that's a domain uh, awareness gap that we have to figure out. General Van Herc said at a Monday news briefing, according to the Wall Street Journal. We'll continue to cover the story if and when there's more detail made available to the public. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. Also coming up later, we'll hear from... Uh, One of the architects of the He Gets Us campaign, Brad Hill, interviewed by SRN's uh, Mike Gallagher. That's coming up later this hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. 
Well, multiple Kansas City Chiefs players thanked God after the team secured their second Super Bowl win in four years, including three players who were instrumental in the team's victory. The Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35 to in the Super Bowl 57, not L-V-I-I. Sunday night, uh, while the Eagles led through the entire first half of the game, the Chiefs came from behind in the second half to secure a tie-breaking victory with a field goal in the final seconds of the game. In post-game remarks, after the uh, after making 27-yard field goal in the final minute of the fourth quarter, Chiefs kicker Harrison uh, Butker, who is a member of the Catholic fraternal organization Knights of Columbus, credited his faith. I wouldn't have been able to get through the season if it wasn't for my faith in God and be able to trust in him and know that he has got a plan. And I'm just thankful that his plan was for us to win the game. In an interview during the uh, week leading up to the big game, Butker uh, he told Sports Spectrum that he wouldn't be the person that he is today as a father and a husband without his faith in God. That kind of sets the tone for everything else and everything falls under that. But that gives me the strength to go do everything that I need to do, he said. Well, in a tweet posted uh, early Monday morning, Chiefs wide receiver uh, Kadarius uh, Tony he reacted uh, to his team's Super Bowl victory by declaring, I'm still taking it all in Man, well, life is fast and real. He added, you just never question God, end quote. Well, he started the 2022 NFL season as a player for the New York Giants, but was traded to the Chiefs in the middle of the season. Not only did uh, did Tony uh, score a touchdown in the big game, the 24-year-old orchestrated the longest punt return in the annual game's history, 65 yards. On ABC's Good Morning America Monday morning, the co-host and former NFL player Michael Strahan, he pressed the linebacker Nick Bolton about his um, scoop and score during the third quarter that flipped the momentum of the game. Strahan asked, the ball had the perfect bounce right into your hands, enabling him to uh, take it to the end zone. Well, Strahan asked Bolton to elaborate on his calm that he dreamed about such a scenario playing out days before the game. Recalling that his dream happened three nights ago, Bolton characterized the fact that it came to fruition as surreal. I just give my blessing to God, man, for allowing me to be in that position at that time. Bolton discussed his faith in an interview with Sports Spectrum last week, insisting that you got to have faith. The Andy Reid-led Chiefs uh, won their first Super Bowl by defeating the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl, whichever number it is, in 2020. While the team made it to the Super Bowl in 2021, they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Heading into the Super Bowl, Chiefs uh, quarterback Patrick Mahomes, who won the NFL MVP award last week, credited uh, God with his athletic success and quick recovery from an ankle uh, sprain, which was uh, aggravated during the game. After defeating the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championships two weeks ago, Mahomes told CBS that he wanted to thank God for giving him the strength to play in the game despite the ankle injury. He healed my body this week to battle through that. He gave me the strength to be out there, Mahomes went on to say. It's always encouraging to hear these young athletes and public figures give glory and honor to God. I should have mentioned this earlier, but I'll mention it now. What we uh, what we know about the uptick in mystery objects that have been shot down from U.S. airspace. Uh, The Pentagon oversaw the shooting down of three unidentified objects in as many days. The first on Friday over Alaska, the second on Saturday over Canada's Yukon Territory, the third on Sunday over Lake Huron. And this is, of course, after the Chinese balloon was shot down. Well, the chaotic series of events came just over a week after that dramatic uh, 
shoot down over the Atlantic coast. Well, U.S. officials confirmed last week that the balloon, which uh, transferred the continental U.S. before being shot down just off the coast of South Carolina, was designed as part of a wider surveillance program, something China disputes. Well, two top Pentagon officials, Air Force General Glenn Van Herc and the commander of NORAD and the U.S. Northern Command and Melissa Dalton, the assistant defense secretary for Homeland Defense and Hemispheric Affairs, Spoke to reporters on a call on Sunday evening, but the briefing seemed to produce more questions than answers. Some of the takeaways from that conversation, uh, why more objects are being spotted now. Well, Dalton explained the uptick in unidentified flying objects spottings was the result of the Chinese spy balloon. They're now looking up in ways they hadn't before. U.S. air defense officials, she said, adjusted radar settings to begin scanning for smaller and slower moving items in North American airspace. In light of the People's Republic of China balloon that we took down last Saturday, we've been more closely scrutinizing our airspace at these uh, altitudes, including enhancing our radar, which may at least partly explain the increase in objects that we've detected over the past week. Well, that explains at least um, in part that. Well, what we know about those objects, well, Van Herc and Dalton couldn't offer many details on the latest three downed objects, and they're referred to as objects rather than balloons, as all are still being collected in the case of the craft down over Alaska on Friday. Crews have yet to locate the object at all. We're actively searching for that object right now. I've got a Navy P-8, which is surveilling the area with helicopters. Uh, Van Herc said, once we locate that object, we'll put um, an Arctic security package in uh, in there and begin to uh, an- analyze the, and recover uh, what's there. Dalton added that officials couldn't definitively assess what the three objects were, so they acted out of an abundance of caution to protect U.S. security and interests and shot them down. These most recent objects did not pose a kinetic military threat, she explained, but their path and proximity to sensitive Department of Defense sites and the altitude they were uh, flying could be a hazard to civilian aviation and thus raised concerns. Well, asked about the physical characteristics of the three objects, Van Herc struggled to offer specifics. I'm not going to categorize them as uh, balloons, he said. We're calling them objects for a reason. I'm unable to categorize how they uh, stayed aloft. Uh, It could be a um, gaseous type of balloon inside a structure, or it could be some type of propulsion system, but clearly uh, they were able to stay aloft. Van Herc also cautioned reporters against assuming that the three items, like the Chinese spy balloon or the product of Beijing, saying, I would be hesitant to and urge you not to attribute it to any specific country we don't know. What about the object that was spotted in Montana? Well, Van Herc, he said that officials believe the object shot down over Lake Huron on Sunday is likely the craft that was spotted in Montana on Saturday before disappearing from their radar. That same craft reappeared on radar late Sunday, first in Montana, then in Wisconsin and Michigan. It then drifted toward Lake Huron, at which point the Pentagon ordered officials uh, F-16 jets to shoot it down. And finally, uh, it's like um, it's likely, but uh, we haven't confirmed that the track that we saw in Wisconsin was likely the same track in Montana. Van Herc went on to say, we monitored the track of interest as it passed over Lake Michigan. We assessed that it was no threat, physical threat, military or otherwise, to critical infrastructure. That's my assessment and 
continues to be today. So a lot of uncertainty. One of the questions that surfaced in the back and forth with questions on these uh, latest objects uh, yet to be identified, the National Security Council spokesman John Kirby dismissed concerns that a string of unidentified airborne objects shot down by the U.S. in recent days are related to aliens or extraterrestrial activity. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these crafts, Kirby said during a press briefing this morning. I don't think there's uh, any more that uh, needs to be said about that. Well, Kirby's comments come one day after the top U.S. general said he hadn't ruled anything out when asked specifically about the possibility of aliens as it relates to the three objects shot down over the weekend. Well, in a move that's gotten little notice in the press, the Biden administration is proposing federal hiring rules that easily could be abused to deny employment to anyone who questions um, woke policies, criticizes the government or belongs to a um, political uh, group uh, or an ideology that is considered politically incorrect. Well, the vague, nebulous language of the proposed changes in existing government hiring regulations could be exploited and allowed biased government managers to put a put up a virtual conservatives need not apply sign when it comes to federal civil service, leaving rejected applicants with little recourse. The Office of Personnel Management, that's the Human Resources Department of the federal government, proposed amendments uh, last month, the 31st of January, to be precise, in the Federal Register to the Personnel Vetting Investigative and Adjudicative Processes for Determining Suitability and Fitness for Government Employment. It's 88FR6192. The public now has until the 3rd of April to file comments on the proposed suitability and fitness vetting amendments. As the proposal uh, explains the um, uh, the term suitability and fitness refers to a decision by an agency that an individual does not have or does have the required level of character and conduct necessary to work in a federal agency. This assessment has nothing to do with someone's qualifications for a job and everything to do with a subjective assessment of a prospective employee under the current regulation, an applicant Uh, is disqualified from employment by the federal government for knowing and willfully engaging in acts or activities designed to overthrow the U.S. government. Certainly, no one disagrees with that standard, since no one should be a federal employee who is engaged in such behavior. It's a standard question that background investigators ask a prospective employee's listed references. Well, the Biden administration, however, is proposing to replace that straightforward standard with four enigmatic uh, standards. We'll share those with you a bit later, but it is rather troubling and it's gotten very little attention. So we'll uh, revisit that. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll hear a conversation between Mike Gallagher and Brad Hill with He Gets Us about those Super Bowl ads and the criticism that has arisen from them. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Sunday said she didn't believe Jesus would support Super Bowl commercials that she claims make fascism look benign. Well, the Christian group He Gets Us reported they spent $20 million on two Super Bowl ads. Something tells me Jesus wouldn't spend the millions, she went on to say. Well, it wasn't entirely clear what she was referring to. But an interview with um, Mike Gallagher and Brad Hill with He Gets Us might explain some of the controversy. All of us have been troubled by reports of people turning away from God, turning away from the church, turning away from their faith. Uh, Fewer people than ever go to church. 
And so what a, a real shocker it was, I think for lack of a better word, to sit back and see a couple of ads about Jesus. And I cannot imagine oh, any country that we inhabit where a politician would object. But almost on cue, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez didn't like the ads. Nope, she's not. she wasn't very much in favor of the He Gets Us ads, um, which seemed to me to deliver the relatability of Jesus during a very troubled time. Brad Hill is with the He Gets Us campaign um, and wants to, I, I'm so excited to, to, to talk to somebody who can kind of tell us the origins of it, give us a little bit of the backstory to two very high profile ads. And if you look at all the charts, Brad, that show how people like the spot, you know, all the campaign ads, because Super Bowl ad watching is a, is a, is a big sport. The, the He Gets Us ads were right up there, very popular, weren't they? Hey, Mike. Yes. Good morning. Happy uh, day after Super Bowl. We're, bet. uh, yeah, we're waking up to some really interesting results. You're right. We yeah, we were just looking at the USA Today ad meter. Yeah, people like to rank these things. Um, we had two ads, like you said, about this confounding love of Jesus. They came in at number eight and number fifteen. Nice. Um, we're thrilled with that. You know, people are rating uh, this message of Jesus higher than things like Pringles and TurboTax and <laughs> and Jeep. I love so, that. Uh, we. We feel like that that's a message that actually reaches the the right, the left, and everybody in between. No kidding. I mean, any day that Jesus would rank higher than Pringles on a favorability chart, I think it's a good day. It really, (laughs) it's an amazing campaign. It's pretty extraordinary to see the commitment that obviously a group of people have put behind advancing the word of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ to the masses. And um, I I know you don't, I'm not going to get into the politics with you and you guys are not right left and you're you're, you're purposefully non-denominational, but I mean, here was Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, arguably one of the highest profile members of Congress, tweeting out her disapproval of the ads. She said, something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. Now, again, I'm not going to ask Brad Hill, my guest, if it's it's fair to think that Cong- uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez believes that Jesus was a fascist. But I'm sure you've heard the criticism about the spend. T- talk a little bit about that pushback that I'm sure you guys have gotten. I'm sure it was many, many millions of dollars to run a 60 and a 30 second ad on the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, you know, we the whole time we've been at this project now, it's it's been about 10 months that he gets us has been running ads. A lot of your listeners probably Super Bowl wasn't the first time we we've we've been showing these on Major League Baseball and March Madness and the Grammys. Um, but the, the whole project really has been centered on one simple thing, and that is Jesus. That's his kind of brand of love that some would call radical. <laughs> and um, in fact, one of the things we see, interestingly, we haven't done an ad on this, but um, the, the controversy or some of the discussion that you're pointing out is something that was, was a parallel during Jesus' time. You know, he had government leaders, he had religious elites, he had a lot of people raising eyebrows, pointing fingers pretty upset. And um, so we've, we've seen similar things as we just try to bring out simple messages from him. 
we get we get some some similar interest. But I can tell you this morning on your money question, um, it it is it is costly to get a message out to the American people, and um, and yet on a marketing spend, we've been we've been grateful to have donors step up and support this. Um, it's a great deal. Yeah. You know, last night, uh, Mike, you know, estimates are there were 110, 115 million people tuned in. Right. I think it was like 90% of televisions in America were watching the Super Bowl that were turned on. And you can't get that kind of exposure many other places. And then this morning I wake up just before I talk to you and I've got, for example, one, uh, one person who's about to go do a, a mission trip yeah, to reach children in slums and wants to know if they can bring he gets us shirts and some messages along because they want to do the work they're doing in Jesus name. And I mean, so we're we're seeing these ads like compel people to do more physical acts, you know, so so it's actually creating more generosity as a result of the media. You know, the Bible calls on all of us to to I mean, I know this is an evangelistic theme. It calls on us to to open our hearts and 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 spread the good news, spread the word about the love of Jesus Christ. And you guys are putting, let's face it, you're putting your money where your mouth is, you know. And that this is an incredible thing. Brad Hill is our guest. He's uh, he's with your the the campaign. He gets us. He gets us dot com. Incidentally, real easy website. He gets us dot com. I know you. Uh, you're the chief solutions officer over at Glue. Glue is doing great work too. Glue, uh, G L O O. You're the leading creator of technology that makes it easier for churches and people to get connected with each other. So this has got to come kind of come full circle for you with the work that you've been doing uh, for so long with glue. And then to see this ad campaign that glue was, was kind of a part of an, uh, on the, on, you know, at the, in the boardroom with and figuring all out all the, the X's and O's on this, it's got to be very gratifying for you, Brad, to see all this play out. It's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. And last night, you know, we had a, we beefed up our team to be ready for the Super Bowl. Um, Glue is handling a lot of the conversations and a lot of the connections. Um, sto- I, could, I could go all day telling you stories just from last night uh, that, that came through. And this morning, we, we have uh, right now, Mike, over 20,000 churches that are connecting to the He Gets Us campaign. They're, you know, they're using Glue, as you said, to, to facilitate those conversations. Sure. And um, they're they're waking up this morning with tons and tons of stories, tons of conversations. By the way, from people who would not normally set foot in our churches, right? Who are you know? I, I just had a conversation with someone who describes himself as an atheist, and wow. he said, for the first time in twenty years, I'm feeling a sense of hope this morning because wow. of what you guys did on the Super Bowl. Brad, let me ask you: when you invest millions like this in two spots, uh, obviously I'm in the marketing business with the show. I mean, I, I endorse products and companies, and we're in fact involved in a campaign right now to bring relief efforts to Turkey and Syria through our Christian ministry partners, Food for the Poor. So we do this on a regular basis. I watch spreadsheets, and I know return on an investment. Uh, overall, is it too soon to, to know, or or can you tell if it it has been a success? Was in other words, was the investment worth it? Was the juice worth the squeeze? Well, we're gonna we're gonna see this play out, uh, Mike. At, at some macro levels, you know, we talk about ads and marketing and and eyeballs and the like. But um, as I referenced, individual conversations at the end of the day is really what we regard as the the ultimate measure sure. of, of this and. You know, we look out at social media this morning 
if you saw the ad, you know what, what we talked about last night was essentially how do we remind people to uh, model Jesus' love with people whom, with, who, who, with whom you disagree. And, and by the way, there and there were two ads. There's a 30 second version and a 60 second version. We want to, with your permission, we'd love to share it with our audience uh, through our website, mikeonline.com. We'll also text it out to everybody in just a minute or two. But the first ad was just just delightful, showing that, that famous video that went viral of a little black boy and a little white boy running to each other and giving them each other a hug. Jesus wants us to be childlike. He gets us. He understands it, uh, Understands us. The relevance of Jesus in our lives and the, the way Jesus should be relevant in our lives. But then the other ad, a little edgier, and it was about and showed some some, some scenes of of conflict and protest and 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 the message on the screen was Jesus loved loves those who we hate. What a powerful message. That's right. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, the success ultimately is, you know, I look at social media and, uh, you look at comments and how we all behave. It's, you know, in, in, in a sense, those two ads are, are this juxtaposition, right? G- there's so many places in scripture where Jesus calls us to be childlike. Right. So in a sense, it's sort of the best of children put up against the worst in adults. Right. That's and, and so that it. was really the, that was the conversation, right? And yeah. so I think it's a challenge for me, for all of us, to wake up and say, man, before I post that thing on Twitter or before I yell back at the customer service agent or whatever I'm doing, let me think about this a little bit. And maybe Jesus' example helps us all, uh, you know, treat each other a little bit a little bit better. Amen. Brad, I, you know, I have to say, AOC's tweet aside, I don't think you've gotten the pushback that I was afraid you would get. Certainly not from the secular left. I know there'll be some internal debate about about Christianity and evangelical Christians, but I, I get a sense as an observer, there hasn't been that much pushback. I think a lot of people are pretty gratified by the campaign. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, we're 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 blown away, Mike, with with the response. And I think some people it, it takes them a, a couple of minutes to think about, wait, is it really this simple? Are you really just doing a large media push about Jesus? You know, as you said earlier, we're we're not affiliating with any church. It's not a denomination. Um, it really is that. simple. In fact, we we lean into it. There's an article up on he gets us dot com simply titled he gets us has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read it, what 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 you'll find is that our agenda is pretty simple. It's it's really just this radical love of Jesus that we're talking about. And folks are reading, they're watching, they are. Uh, by the way, a lot of folks want to read more of the, from the Bible. They want right. to go to the source text, as one person put it. <laughs> and uh, so we we've seen a, a tremendous uptick in that. And yeah, they're getting connected to churches and groups all over the country. So the response has been just nothing short of breathtaking. Wow, that's fantastic. Imagine that, a campaign that directs people to Jesus and the Holy Bible. I can't imagine why people aren't complaining. <laughs> Brad, congr- <laughs> congratulations. What a beautiful, beautiful moment that was. Uh, and incidentally, anyone can text the keyword Jesus to our text line, 800-655-MIKE, and we'll send you back to their website, hegetsus.com, or just text the keyword Jesus to the Mike Gallagher Show text line, 800 655 Mike Brad Hill, congratulations again. Keep fighting the good fight. And uh, and on behalf of the millions of people who listen to us, please thank the team there. He gets us from all of us here at the Mike Gallagher Show for, for doing the Lord's work. This is really good. Very powerful stuff. 
I'll be sure to do that. Thank you, Mike. Thank Appreciate you, Brad. it. All the best. Take care. Brad Hill. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour of today's program, a conversation with Brent Patrick McDougall. His book is titled Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, we'll take a look at what's happening in Asbury University in Kentucky. Is there another revival that's sparking in other places, other campuses around the country? That's all coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, to return to some of the day's news, calling it unacceptable. It's not just Republicans demanding transparency from the president after the fourth unidentified object is, has been shot down. Flying into a frenzy, Philadelphia Eagles fans flooded the streets with expletives at the Chiefs at the after the uh, Super Bowl loss heightened alert the Pentagon is ruling nothing out and the downing of an unexplained object over Lake Huron they've walked that back just a smidge well continuing to steal representative James Comer says China has massive um, a spy ring in the United States saying the problem is a lot bigger than the spy balloon Killed by white supremacy. Now, this is rather interesting to me. A Democrat representative is blaming white people for the death of Tyree Nichols after the fatal beating by black police officers. Now, this is a dangerous ideology. It doesn't matter who actually perpetrates the crime. You always have the same. um, The person who's guilty is always the same. They don't have to be present. They don't have to be directly involved. But the black police officers killing the black uh, individual, uh, they were pulling over for a car stop. Um, they're not responsible. It's white supremacy. And the, the notion behind that is that they are somehow so influenced by it that they acted on behalf of those who are themselves white supremacists. We are in trouble in our country today. Try something new. A San Francisco county leader voiced support to legalize prostitution in the city as brazen soliciting spirals across the state after a new law took effect this year. What's happening right now in Cap Street is it's becoming more brazen and bigger than we've ever seen it before. The county supervisor, Hillary Ronan, said, speaking to the Los Angeles Times, instead of repeating the same cycle that we've repeated for decades, it's time to try something new, she says. She called the situation out of control in comments to the San Francisco Chronicle and pushed for San Francisco to install barriers on Chap Street in the heart of San Francisco's Mission District after it became lined with prostitutes and pimps. Well, this week she's expected to announce a resolution that will urge state lawmakers to legalize prostitution. We need to adapt. A California assemblyman uh, defended a California bill offering in-state tuition to students living in Mexico. ABC and NBC have been beset by PR nightmares and internal tumult, the network blues. Not optimistic, an ex-New York Times writer is blasting the lack of media transparency after the Russiagate fiasco. It's just sort of dissipated into the wind. Presidential support, Senator Chuck Schumer defended the administration's delayed reaction to China's spy flights, saying the U.S. gained enormous intelligence. Of course, we're less concerned about the intelligence the United States gained and more concerned about the intelligence the People's Republic of China may have gained. Can't be overlooked. Infuriated NPR commentators claim Beyonce's talent is being ignored after losing the Grammys to very white stars. Now, keep in mind, Beyonce is the most celebrated artist of all time, and she's being overlooked. In fact, the Grammys she won this time around made her the most celebrated artist of all time. We are obsessed with one thing, and it's not helpful. 
Mainstream media outlets are ignoring the murder of the second Republican lawmaker in New Jersey. Nothing to see here, folks. A second Republican New Jersey councilman was gunned down on Wednesday just one week after a councilwoman from a different county in the state was killed. Milford Councilman Russell Heller, 51, was in his car in the parking lot of the office building where he worked when a former employee confronted him and shot him. For all the uh, media's crowing about attacks on democracy, you would think that three evening networks newscasts would be all over the story. Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, all three ignored the story during their Thursday broadcasts. Instead of reporting on the second assassination of a Republican elected official, the three networks decided to report on stories like local weather forecasts, a segment on the future of robots, and a report on potential racial discrimination in home appraisals. If this uh, happened to two Democrat council members, the broadcast networks would not have ignored the story. And that is just simply a fact. The U.S. shot down two additional flying objects, which I've already mentioned. The Missouri AG has begun his investigation into the Trans Center for putting minors in serious danger. Missouri's Attorney General Andrew Bailey called for a halt to authorizing puberty blockers for children at St. Louis Children's Hospital on Friday. In a letter to Washington University officials, Bailey addressed allegations from a whistleblower, Jamie Reed, who claimed that the university's transgender center was operating irreversible gender transition surgeries and possibly permanently sterilizing children without parental consent. Bailey added that the producers, which affect a person's hormones, Um, have led children to attempt suicide and were often done without an individualized assessment of the child. Reed alleged she raised concerns to doctors at the center and university administrators for years and was discouraged from tracking adverse outcomes of patients, she stated in the affidavit. A former Tavis Stock Clinic employee's regret uh, regularly prescribing thousands of children puberty blockers. More than a thousand children at the NHS's controversial child's transgender clinic were handed prescriptions for puberty blockers. A new book has claimed a former staff compare it to the doping of East German athletes. The Gender Identity Development Service, or GIDS, in Tavistock and Portman uh, NHS Trust in London will close later this year after being slammed in a report amid accusations it was rushing children onto puberty-blocking drugs. Now former clinicians at the service have revealed how incredibly complex children were handed the life-altering drugs after just one assessment, despite having a multiple, a multitude rather of mental health or background issues. Former clinicians at GIDS have spoken of the regret of how the clinic regularly prescribed children under the age of 16 with puberty blockers and cross-hormone treatment. Former medical staff compare the prescriptions to the doping of athletes representing East Germany through the 1960s and 70s. Senator John Fetterman has trouble hearing voices after his stroke. Nearly nine months after the senator suffered a stroke on the camping trail or campaign trail, rather, the first term senator faces lingering health challenges as he adjusts to life in the Senate. He continues to struggle with auditory processing, making it difficult to understand the words of his colleagues. Fetterman says it can feel like deciphering the voice of a teacher from the Peanuts cartoon. Wah, 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 wah. And although he's been given accommodation to help ease his transition, several members of his staff have voiced concerns that he needs to take things slow. Those concerns only grew after Fetterman was hospitalized earlier this week after feeling lightheaded. The report comes following Fetterman's hospitalization after feeling uh, unwell. 
uh, at a Democrat Senate retreat. Fetterman's staff claimed the doctor said that he did not have another stroke and that they were checking for signs of seizures. The report noted that the stroke last year has taken a very real psychological toll on him and that he has had to come to terms with the fact that he may have to set set himself back permanently by not taking the recommended amount of rest during the campaign. Now, this was not reported on during the campaign, and the New York Times is now being criticized for failing to do so then and only now making uh, making it an issue. Florida approved an immigration program allowing DeSantis to move illegals to sanctuary cities. Florida's lawmakers on Friday approved the new program that will allow the governor uh, and his administration to relocate those in the state illegally from anywhere in the country to Democrat-led states and sanctuary cities. The Florida Senate passed the unauthorized alien transport program on Friday, sending the measure to DeSantis for final approval. The legislation sets aside $10 million for Florida's Department of Emergency Management to spend on that program. Meanwhile, Customs and Border Patrol caught 185 packages of fentanyl. Senator Joni Ernst says China is poisoning America. Customs and Border Protection officials are working at the Douglas Port of Entry in Arizona. Only one spot seized 185 packages of the pills from a Mexican national trying to cross the border. The unnamed man's SUV was referred for secondary inspection. Authorities found a compartment in the floor of the car and inside discovered the fentanyl pills. CBP estimates there were about 180,000 pills weighing over 45 pounds. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll continue to look at the headlines and also hear from uh, Pastor Brent Patrick McDougall, author of Prayer Power, and we'll visit what's happening in Asbury, Kentucky. Is there a revival at work? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, a conversation with Pastor Brent Patrick McDougall, author of Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. That's coming up in our next couple of segments. And we'll also take a look at what's happening in Asbury at the University in Kentucky. Has a revival broken out again, as it did in the 1970s? That's coming up later in the program as well. Well, a Palestinian terrorist killed seven Israeli citizens in a car ramming at a bus stop. A six-year-old boy and a 20-year-old man were killed, and at least five others were wounded in a car ramming terror attack near East Jerusalem's Ramat neighborhood. Police and medics said on Friday one of those wounded was a child in critical condition, the brother of the slain six-year-old. Several bystanders were seen aiming firearms at the car. Police said the driver was shot dead by an officer who happened to be at the scene. Yahoo is planning to reduce its workforce by 20 percent and restructure its advertising department. Yahoo Inc. will eliminate about a thousand jobs beginning this week or roughly 12 percent of its employees. The first round of cuts and a larger plan to restructure its advertising tech division amid a wave of layoffs in the industry. The company owned by Apollo Global uh, Management Inc. plans to reduce uh, headcount at its Yahoo for Business ad tech unit uh, by almost 50 percent by the end of 2023 or more than 20 percent of the workforce. Turkish authorities blame contractors for poor construction after the devastating earthquake. We often complain here, but... We see what happened there. Turkish authorities are targeting contractors allegedly involved with buildings that collapsed in the powerful February 6th earthquakes that rescuers found more survivors in the rubble Sunday, including a pregnant woman and two children in the disaster that killed 33,000 and counting. 
As despair bred rage at the agonizing slow rescue efforts, the focus turned to the assigning blame. Turkish justice minister said 131 people were under investigation for their alleged responsibility in the construction of buildings that failed to withstand the quakes. While the quakes were powerful, victims, experts and people across Turkey are blaming faulty construction for multiple or rather multiplying the devastation. The House has rejected bad D.C. laws. The House voted last Thursday to overturn two laws the D.C. City Council passed last year. The two laws in question were a provision to go easy on crime with reduced sentences on everything from carjackings to burglary and more serious felonies and a law granting voting rights to non-U.S. citizen residents of the city. Both votes to overturn were bipartisan. The House rejected the soft on crime measure 250 to 173 with 31 Democrats crossing the aisle to join Republicans. And the non-citizen voting went down 260 to 162 with 42 Democrats joining Republicans. The district's laws allows non-citizens to vote would effectively add some 50,000 people to the voter rolls in a city with a population of 700,000. It's not like Democrat-controlled Washington is in any way up for grabs, given that Democrat voters outnumber Republicans by nearly 9 to 1. President Biden renominated speech suppressor Gigi Son following the revelations from the Twitter files. One would think the president would be cautious to avoid appearing to want to blatantly censor Americans. In 2021, rather, the president nominated radical leftist Gigi Son to sit on the five-member Federal Communications Commission. Son was exposed for making disparaging comments toward conservatives and Fox News, which she claims was dangerous to our democracy. But it wasn't just her controversial comments that tanked her nomination the first time around. It was her failure at transparency. When a Senate committee requested documents for a legal settlement she signed while on the board of a now-defunct company, she effectively evaded and never produced it. Several Democrat senators were reticent of Sohn, but evidently the president is hoping that this time around he can get this radical into the FCC while giving the Democrats a 3-2 majority and allowing the promulgation of greater speech censorship regulations online. Part of the sun appears to have broken off. NASA scientists recently witnessed a remarkable phenomenon on the surface of the sun. The unusual event was captured by the James Webb Space Telescope. One doctor, Dr. Scove, described it. Material from a northern prominence just broke away from the main filament and is now circulating in a massive a polar vortex around the north pole of our star. It's an unusual location of the phenomenon on the sun's surface above 55 degrees latitude that caught the scientists' attention. Well, these types of solar tornado-like swirls usually occur only once every 11 solar years uh, in the cycle. As solar physicist Scott McIntosh explained, once every solar cycle, it forms at the 55-degree latitude and it starts to march up to the solar poles. It's very curious. There is a big why question around it. Why does it only move toward the poles one time and then disappear and then come back magically three or four years later in exactly the same region? The sun is on its way to reaching its peak solar activity level in its current cycle, which will arrive in 2025. How this recent sun activity will impact the climate on Earth is not fully understood, but it will have an effect. The concern is that sizable solar flares could impact communications on Earth, disrupting GPS, radio signals, and power grids. There is much about the sun that is still being learned and discovered. Unacceptable? Lawmakers are demanding accountability from the Biden administration after a fourth flying object was shot down by the military. 
The public spent the Super Bowl weekend anxiously watching the skies as the U.S. military shot down a series of said vehicles. Senator Chuck Schumer claims China was humiliated by spy balloon scandal, as he's referring to it. National Archives has apologized for telling the March for Lifers to remove or conceal their pro-life attire. The Turkey-Syria earthquake death toll has reached 56,000. Kate Bedingfield is planning to depart as the White House communications director. And 230,000 children failed to show up for classes when public schools reopened after the pandemic. It's a tragedy without parallel in American history, as many of the no-shows are very young, K through third grade. Critical skills learned in early education were not taught to these kids who are now hopelessly behind. The pandemic didn't necessarily cause the problem. It exposed problems that already existed and were exacerbated. Consider the fact that 65 percent of American fourth grade students can barely read. This is a result of a radical shift to a new way of teaching children how to read. Well, on this day in history, 1633, Galileo Galilei arrives in Rome for a trial before the Inquisition, accused of defending the Copernicum theory that the Earth revolves around the sun instead of the other way around. 1861, Abraham Lincoln is officially declared winner of the 1860 presidential election as electors cast ballots. 1935, a jury in Flemington, New Jersey, finds Bruno Richard Hauptmann, Guilty of first-degree murder and the kidnapping, slaying of Charles Lindbergh Jr., the 20-month-old son of Charles and Anne Lindbergh. 1943, during World War II, the U.S. Marine Women's Reserve is officially established. 1974, Nobel Prize-winning Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn is expelled from the Soviet Union. 2009, the Peanut Corporation of America, the Lynchburg, Virginia-based peanut processing company at the heart of a national salmonella outbreak, files for bankruptcy. 2016, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, 79, is found dead at a private residence in the Big Bend area of West Texas. 2017, President Trump's embattled national security advisor Michael Flynn resigns following reports he had misled Vice President Mike Pence and other officials about his contacts with Russia. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, says he paid $130,000 out of his own pocket to Stormy Daniels, who claims to have had a relationship with Donald Trump. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Pastor Brent Patrick McDougall, his book, Prayer Power. We'll also take a look and consider what's happening in Asbury at the University in Kentucky. Another revival? We'll see. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, in the new book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller, author and pastor Brent Patrick McDougall, he invites the reader to take a 40-day journey to do something very specific, pray. We need to learn a particular and persistent kind of prayer, he writes. He wrote Prayer Power after a putting into practice the prayer method of 19th century pastor George Mueller, one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Over a lifetime of ministry, he launched multiple orphanages that cared for more than 10,000 children, but not once did he ever ask for donations. Instead, he prayed as each need arose. Well, every chapter in the book features a teaching from Scripture and a story from the life of Mueller. A, uh, as a Dr. Brent uh, leads the reader through each day's reflection. He offers instructions on how to pray on a deeper level. Uh, prayer power, everyday people in the in the book, uh, people of faith 
can learn how to pray with the faith of George Mueller, expecting answers because our God is good. He's waiting to meet uh, and our reward and to reward those rather who seek him. Well, Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall is the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. Each Sunday, he speaks to about 3000 people through in-person television and online worship. He received his B.A. in religion and political science from Emory University and a Master of Divinity from Beeson Divinity School in Samford University. He also holds a Ph.D. in political science from the University of Alabama, a cross-discipline study of politics and religion. Well, he is the author of The River of the Soul and Faith, Hope, and Politics. He's written numerous guest blogs, posts, and articles, including America's Spiritual Pandemic for Christianity Today. A native of Alabama, he has a heart for bringing people together, cultivating atmospheres of prayer, and encouraging devotion among church members as well as throughout the community at large. We are just so delighted to have you with us. Uh, Dr. McDougall, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me today. You begin in the introduction of your book, Prayer Power. You write, your greatest resource is not money, intellect, or popularity, or pedigree. Your greatest asset is not represented on your resume or in the roll call of your accomplishments. While all these are good, they're secondary to the central sacred resource available to you. You, of course, are referring to prayer. Why do we so grossly underestimate the resource we have at our hands, the invitation that we have from God himself to come before his throne of grace, um, to meet with him. It's so true that oftentimes we don't experience power in prayer. I've met people over the course of many years of ministry who say they just feel like they can't experience any breakthrough. They wonder if prayer is just for the super saints. They don't understand the teachings of the Bible about prayer. And because uh, just in that futility, they don't exercise their faith through prayer, they don't experience power. But I really wanted people to know that these promises that are present all throughout Scripture, these miraculous promises about what God can do through the power of prayer, are true not just for a few people, but for all believers who can learn how to pray. You know, the disciples, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he did. Mm -hmm. We need to learn how to pray. And uh, as we learn how to pray, we too can experience that power through prayer. Well, this may seem like a simplistic question, but I think it's one that many believers still ponder. What is the purpose of our prayer? Scripture says he knows what we need before we ask. And many of us conclude, well, if he already knows, what would be the point? What is the purpose uh, in prayer and God's invitation? The primary purpose is not asking for what we need, although that is certainly something that is available to us. Uh, The purpose of prayer, I believe, is found in scriptures such as uh, Psalm 63, where David talks about this earnest, beautiful, passionate prayer just to be in the presence of God. Mm. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. He cries out to the living God, and he says, God, I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, and I want you to be in me. And it's from that place of passion, I believe, that then we are able to ask for the things that we need. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's he's teaching us about his presence and about his kingdom, and that's the place to start. It's not so much just 
a litany of what we would ask for, but instead to learn to pray in such a way that we really are experiencing communion, a daily communion with our Heavenly Father. If we can't learn to pray like that, it's unlikely that we're really going to learn a deep dependence Mm -hmm. and a trust such that we will be able to ask rightly for the things that we need. Well, I love the the use of the word communion. It's not a one-way street where I simply express what's on my heart, walk away and, and engage in other activities, but we are in relationship. We're in fellowship with God and uh, he speaks to us and we bear our hearts to him as well. Uh, talk a little bit about George Mueller. You uh, mentioned in the subtitle, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. Now, this is a, a 19th century pastor that many of our listeners may be unfamiliar with. Yes. Well, I learned about George Mueller by hearing these stories about answers to prayer. And Mueller was a pastor in the 19th century who mostly worked in Bristol, England. But his work was not only in the walls of the church as a pastor. He was out in the community and especially helping to care for orphans who were on the street. In fact, over the course of his ministry, Mueller opened four orphanages that allowed him to care for 10,000 children that were uh, destitute so he could provide for them food, shelter, uh, education, and also spiritual nourishment. So Mueller was known as having a heart for children, you know, and that's what the Bible says, you know, God is a father to the fatherless. He, he loves the little ones. He looks after the ones who have no father, and then he calls people to be fathers to those uh, who don't have a father. So that's what Mueller did. He was known for his care for orphans, but he was mostly known to be a person of great prayer. In fact, Mueller said that over the course of his lifetime, he experienced 50,000 answers to prayer. He never asked for a dime for the orphanages. Uh, He never um, asked for a donation from anyone regarding the buildings. If he had um, if he had been in today's work, he would have raised about $170 million over the course of his ministry, and it all happened through prayer. He just asked the Lord for what he needed. Well, as I was learning about his life, I remember telling a story once about a time in which he was caring for the orphans, and they had no bread and no milk for breakfast. They were needing to get to their classes for school and Unfortunately, they were going to have to go hungry. And so he called the children together. He called all the adults and he said, let's all bow. And they prayed a prayer of thanks for what God was about to provide. Even though there was nothing on the table, they said, thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. And it wasn't long before there was a knock at the door. The milk truck had broken down outside the orphanages and the milk was going to spoil. Could they have use of it to give to the orphans? So they had milk for the day. And then the baker sent word that he had overbaked for the day and had extra bread. Could he send it over to the orphanage to feed the children? <laughs> Mueller saw so many things like that happen. And I believe his ability to give thanks before the prayer was answered was part of his secret. So I heard all these stories about his life, and I thought, you know, I'm tired of telling George Mueller stories. I want to <laughs> live George Mueller stories. Mm-hmm. I want to experience power in prayer for myself. And so that was really a a beginning of a journey where I started to study his life and really the biblical principles that he lived by. And I began to experience breakthrough. I saw such amazing things happen immediately 
as I put these things into practice. And so I wrote this book because I wanted the people to experience that very same power in prayer. Mm. We're going to take a break in a moment, but I do want to give you an opportunity to dispel what may be a misunderstanding about the nature of prayer. Uh, You're a a pastor, Uh, Pastor Mueller. He was a pastor. Uh, There are certain people for whom prayers uh, are offered and answered, while the rest of us uh, aren't in a, the same position where we're heard and uh, receive a response in the same way that you do. I'm certain that there are some of our listeners who imagine they're in a separate category and that there's no principle uh, in Scripture that would apply to their prayers being answered in such extraordinary ways. Your thoughts on that, uh, Pastor McDougall? Yes. Well, as we uh, consider the teachings of Scripture, I think it's important to remember that not every um, thing that is there is only applicable to pastors. So, for instance, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he was talking to them long before any of them became pastors or leaders in, in the church. And he taught them, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He was giving them these promises, not just for a few, but for everybody. And if Jesus is to to be believed, then we can expect that he's going to swing by the door when we go before him. Uh, George Mueller said, every believer, when they draw near to God, should have full confidence that God is listening and willing to answer prayer. And our difficulty seems to be that these promises are just too great. We think, well, that can't be what God means. We stagger at the promises through our unbelief, and therefore, Mueller says, we fail to secure the treasure that was purchased for us by Christ. And what that means is that all of us have access to the throne of God, as amazing as that may seem. Mm -hmm. We all have access to the one Father. We can all go directly to God, and all the promises of Scripture are for everyone who comes by faith. So I just want to encourage those who are listening today These promises are for you. You can experience great breakthrough in prayer. And don't let unbelief get in the way of your relationship with God. Go to him and see what God can do as you pray. Amen. We're going to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall. He is the author of Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. We'll be back in just a few moments. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall. He's senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're talking about his book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. We were talking just before the break about this uh, this notion that we may misunderstand that God has extended this invitation to all of us. Another misunderstanding, and then we'll get to the the book. Uh, another misunderstanding might be that I can pray for virtually anything and expect that God will respond because of the promises that he has made. Are there parameters? Um, are we to pray according to God's will or according to my preference? Such a great question. It's certainly important that we seek to pray in God's will and not to be asking in such a way that is not befitting what God wants for our lives. We can't expect God to give us something that's not good for us. And so one of the important principles that George Mueller put into practice was to seek to understand God's will and to pray accordingly. And he had a very specific way of going about that. So one of the biggest things I learned from George Mueller's life is that the way that you live 
by faith impacts the power that you experience in prayer. So what happens is a lot of people are just going about their business. They're not really living for the will of God. They're not really changing their behavior. They're not really seeking God in all things. And then they go to God and they wonder, why am I not experiencing more answers to prayer? We've got to be living in such a way that is consistent with the promises that are given to us uh, about prayer. Amen. Now, the book is divided into six sections. Uh, Talk about the importance of these six topics and the order that they're in as uh, uh, a reader goes through the 40 days to learn to pray, uh, as did uh, George Mueller. Yes. So the book is broken down into six sections. Uh, There are 40 chapters that are part of all those six sections. And so it's a 40-day kind of brief devotional each day that has a biblical principle a story from George Mueller's life, typically an an anecdote from my own life or something else, and then sort of a takeaway point, a prayer principle is what I call it. So as people move through uh, those 40 days of devotion, they'll they'll experience sort of six movements or six principles that George Mueller taught about how to live a life that experiences power in prayer. The first one is to abide in Christ. That comes from John chapter 15, in which he talks about abide in me and I will abide in you. So every day seeking to become happy in the Lord is our first principle. You know, getting our hearts right, just glad to be living for God today, to abide in him and to day by day, hour by hour, live in the presence of God, listening and looking to God for everything that you need. The second principle is complete dependence on God. So this is recognizing that you need God for your physical troubles, your financial troubles, your career challenges, your relationship issues. It's really a posture bringing everything before the Lord in prayer. There's the foundation of abiding, but then there's the way that in all things you you bring before your Heavenly Father your needs and concerns. Now, the third principle is to forsake sin. This is really important because Oftentimes we have sin in our lives that blocks the way in which we experience the presence of God. And we might not think that there's a connection between forsaking sin and prayer, but Jesus said, if there's anything in your life that's causing you to sin, cut it out immediately. Don't abide it. Don't rationalize it. Don't put it off for another day. Get rid of it because it gets in the way of the way that you're experiencing God. The fourth principle is to exercise your faith. Now, this means that You are stepping in faith, even if you don't see steps two, three, and four, you're taking that first step. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're willing to to move by faith and to trust that God is going to lead you with each new step. You're not waiting on God to put it all together or show you every single thing, but instead you're moving by faith. That's the fourth principle. The fifth principle is to learn to pray in the will of God. And so that means seeking the Lord through Scripture and in the power of the Spirit, emptying yourself of your own will, saying, not my will, God, but what you want. Mueller said that's 90% of the problem, is that we bring an agenda into our Mm -hmm. prayers rather than leaving the outcomes to the Lord. And then finally, sixth, it's to persevere in prayer. We give up way too soon. We don't pray through problems or the biggest things that we want to see in life. But Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
knock and the door will be opened. And actually, a better way to translate those phrases are keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. He taught us that we should always pray and never give up. So persevere in prayer and wait for the Lord to work out what you want to see happen. What a what a wonderful 40 days to focus on prayer and to learn how to get um, everything that God intends for us to learn about prayer, to engage in prayer and to see him uh, respond in a way that demonstrates his faithfulness. What's needed to start this method of prayer? Where do we begin? Sure. Well, certainly you need uh, a regular pattern of Bible reading and also the practice of prayer. So I'm always surprised by how few people, even people in churches, you know, that are in worship every week, but they don't have a regular way of, of meeting with God. So you need a a way of reading the Bible and, and really reading the Bible in and of itself. Don't rely on a devotional, you know, go to God's word. That's where the power is. So um, Jesus said to find a place, uh, a, a secret sort of place that's just for you. Uh, he doesn't mean like a place that no one else knows about, but a quiet place that's away from everyone else and shut the door. And God, who is in secret, will meet you and reward you in secret. So you need a plan, you need a place, and then you just need um, a passion. You know, you need to be willing to be taught, willing to linger in the presence of God. Really, you could move through these 40 days of devotion and not necessarily cultivate any greater passion than what you already have. But instead, to ask the Lord, God, would you give me a greater passion for you? Would you help me to long to be in your presence? Would you reveal yourself to me as I meet with you? Because, Lord, I just want to know you and I want to be with you. That's what's, I think, required to really be transformed in prayer. And I appreciate your reminding us that even the desire to please him, the power to please him comes from him. So we can approach uh, an effort to uh, understand and practice prayer uh, in a more biblical way by asking him to give us that desire to help us along the way. So if we don't have to start out as passionate as we hope we will be when we've uh, gone through the 40 days. But that's a, a great thing to be reminded of. If I'm not there yet, God will bring me uh, along. Right. Now, for those who oh, who struggle with the time, uh, and that, I, I suppose that's a struggle we have in so many ways, but the time to, prayer, uh, to pray, uh, can we take a few minutes here, a few minutes there? What's the best approach? And what do you say to those who struggle with just finding sufficient time? To those that would say they don't have enough time to pray or to read the Bible, I would say that you have 24 hours in the day, just like every other human being on the planet. <laughs> has God ever had. Has given, God has given you enough time to do what God wants you to do, to fulfill God's purpose. God has given you all the time that you need. And if you give your time to God, God will give you sufficient time to accomplish everything else. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. I believe this means seek first in the morning. Um, when I wake up, I try to wake up in a posture of prayer and then to read the Bible as the first words that hit my mind. Because I know when things get busy, you know, all these other worries and information start to rush in. And so I want that first seeking of him to be setting the pace for the day. I think it's a good pattern not everyone is, is a morning person. Maybe other people might say it's at night, but 
I do believe that seeking him first and uh, letting that be the standard for how the rest of the day goes is so important. You know, I, I heard one pastor say, if I, if I miss a, a morning of prayer, then uh, I notice it. If I, if I miss a week of prayer, my wife notices it. <laughs> if, I, if I miss a month of prayer, my church notices it, you know. <laughs> We've got to be seeking him. And so I would say, don't, don't kick yourself if you, if you haven't prayed as much as you would like to or that God wants you to. Just begin. Ask the Lord to help you to increase from a few minutes to five minutes or from five minutes to ten minutes. And what I've experienced is that the more that you taste the presence of the Lord, the more you see how good it is. And you'll just want more of it. God can change your heart little by little. Yes, yes. Once again, the book is titled Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. And can you tell us, where can our listeners find a copy? The book is published by Whitaker House. Where can we find it? Listeners can go on Amazon and search for Prayer Power and then my name, Brent McDougall. And people are able to to purchase it there. They can also go to Whitaker House amazing publisher and uh, can purchase it there online as well. There are um, lots of, uh, I think, opportunities for churches to not only to, to see this happen among individuals, but also to see a whole church to kind of move through this as a 40-day journey. It can really be transformative. And so um, I would just encourage people to um, to give it a try. And I love to hear from people that are reading this book. It has been such a joy to hear how people are being transformed in prayer, just as I've been transformed. It gives me such great hope for the church in America. So I, I would love to hear from people. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a joy. God bless. Bye bye. Again, you're listening to the Georgine Rice show. My guest, Dr. Brent Patrick McDougall and his book, Prayer Power. We're going to take a a quick break, and we'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you haven't been on Facebook or you haven't had a conversation about it, all eyes are focused on Asbury University. And the question is, is there another revival? In fact, what's happening there has broken out on other campuses around uh, around the country. Uh, One Kentucky newspaper put it this way. Time will tell if the revival unfolding on the campus of Asbury University will have the impact of one of the of the one from 1970. The comparisons, though, are uncanny. They both broke out during a time of unrest in America and in a normal campus chapel service. They included confession, repentance and testimonies of hundreds of students who gathered at the altar on the first day. Today, the worshiping has not stopped and has begun to spread like wildfire now, not only on Asbury campus, but throughout the country and even the world, thanks to social media. Students from universities near and far have been drawn to the Asbury University campus to crowd their uh, their way into the chapel while others are watching live feeds to catch a glimpse of what's happening. Time brings all this uh, to light, but uh, but uh, certainly it is an encouragement. That's what one pastor from West Broadway Baptist Church and the professor of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary writes. We need to pray for the Lord's protection on them. When God said, let us arise and build, Satan says, let us arise and destroy. On the morning of February 8th, a chapel service took place in Hughes Auditorium on the campus of Asbury University. The message was about confession and repentance. And after the service was over, a group of students stayed behind to worship. Then more joined them. And then more and more. 
Something special was happening, and it was more than an emotional stirring of college students. I like the old dictum, how do you tell if it's real, a really a work of God? It's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you land. Hmm. It's the fruit that comes from it. Some people are critical and may say it's just emotionalism. Certainly emotional is involved, but it is also genuine life change, repentance, and confession of sin. Students who were in the room where, where it happened could feel the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit was tangible in the room, said one student of the University of Kentucky and a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Chains were broken, confession happened, and God was praised as holy, holy, holy. There's a difference in the students who have continued to make time for class after being able to participate in worship so freely and so abundantly, said a Spanish professor at this school. He said students have been uh, pleasantly surprised that revival took place. Thacker, the professor, said that they have shown that in a number of ways. One student has been singing in worship for two days, while another has been content to be still and observe. Everybody is reacting in different ways to a true move of God on a college campus in Kentucky. The truth is, I don't feel qualified to be interviewed, said one sophomore of Ashland, uh, where she is a member of Unity Baptist Church. I've experienced God this week in a way that I haven't before. But the radical change of others seems more significant. I feel like a bystander in the story that is unfolding and continues to unfold. I feel like a reporter, a witness to the testimonies of lives changed, tears shed, hugs shared, and utter joy and peace that is indescribable. As I head back tonight, Friday, I am anticipating encountering more and to hear and see how he is moving and working in all our lives, end quote. Well, even as energy begins to wane, lives are being changed and lifelong chains broken through repentance and confession and outright praise of Jesus. No overhead words, just singing from memory songs of worship and praise. There has also been testimony, a true sign of revival, according to a great theologian. Jonathan Edwards said revival seems to spread on the wings of testimony. A testimony from those who have been revived. Testimony to works of grace. It seems to ignite a spark in other individuals as well. Edwards said, in fact, that emotion is there or not uh, doesn't really mean anything. He identified five marks that were true in every genuine work of God. The five are Jesus is honored. Satan's kingdom is opposed. Repentance. God's word is highly regarded. God's truth is revealed. God and others are loved. Well, the first was Jesus was Jesus is put in the spotlight. Jesus said in John 16, when the spirit comes, he will bear witness of me. Jesus is in the spotlight. There needs to be a discernible spirit of repentance, not simply confession. There needs to be a deep desire to turn away from sin, to get as far away from it as you can. There's a new love for the word of God, a new hunger. He directs people to the word of God, which he inspired. There's a new commitment to true teaching and a new love for God and man. The real key mark that Edwards talked about was a genuine repentance taking place. People are watching the revival take place mostly through the lens of social media, something that hasn't happened in other campuses, campus revivals. It's drawn a broader audience to witness what is happening through witness accounts, photographs and videos. A group in Indonesia heard about the revival and before they showed the Jesus film to a people group, they prayed for revival. Then the group who had contacted them prayed for the Indonesian group for 10 minutes. 
I think this would be the first of this campus revival that would be in the age of social media, being able to get the word out quickly compared to how they got the word out in 1970 with telephone and print media. Because uh, of the posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, the Asbury Revival has become a must-see experience being carried out on campuses elsewhere. As for the group in Indonesia, many came to faith in Christ. Parents are driving from all over Kentucky to be a part of the chapel experience. One couple drove from Ashland on Friday night to visit their daughter to be a part of that worship experience. They weren't alone. Others are coming as well. Tomorrow we'll talk about what happened in 1970, but I would encourage you, if you can, to go on social media. You can witness uh, what's happening. There are links to articles writing about what's happening, and you can also drop to your knees and begin to pray that we would find an experience revival here, wherever you happen to be spiraling outward. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.